Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road getting from there to here. It's been a long time, but my time is finally here. I can feel the change in the wind right now. Nothing's in my way. Are you there? I'm here. Monique? Yep, I'm what here. What was that noise? That was the first time that ever happened. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Jess Armine here at the... Wait a second. This is like... Wait a second. It's recording. Why is this doing this? What is going on? Hmm. Hmm. Do we have any technical wizards on the call? <laughs> hey, this shouldn't be doing this. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. Sorry. I'm afraid to turn it off and turn it back on. Um mm. Okay, well, let's just carry on and see what happens, huh? Okay. Wow. Let's just see if it repeats that. And I'm not saying that. What is going on here? Hold on. Okay. I'm going to hit the live chat here, see what's going on. Okay. Oh, man. What is going on? Really, this is weird. This is very weird. Um, reload page. Okay. You know, hey, you gotta hold on a second because I'm going to go. If it's on air, I'm going to open this up in a different... Um, I'm going to open this up in a different place. Okay. One okay. second. What is happening here? Okay. 
now. Get rid of this. And open it up from here. Are you still there? I'm still here. Okay. I changed... Um... Oh, it sounds like it's working this time. Okay. I changed um, from Firefox Internet Explorer. Hopefully that'll uh, solve the issue. Okay. Alrighty, now. Hmm. Okay, well, it's not repeating, so we must be doing something right. Okay. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hope. You know, I really do. Uh, Honestly, this was weird. That was that's never happened before. Well, everybody, I guess you know where you are. You're at um, you're with Dr. Jess Armay here at um, the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine in southeastern Pennsylvania. And um, don't ask me what happened. I have no concept, no con- no idea what happened. Uh, so uh, please be be a bit patient while we uh, reset everything. Okay, because um, like I said, that was weird. Uh, we have an tonight. Gremlins, that's right. Um, <laughs> gremlins. And if you're a Bugs Bunny freak, Gremlins from the Kremlin. You know? <laughs> we are Gremlins from the Kremlin. Okay, but I'm, I'm a Bugs Bunny person, so, you know, it's a good thing. <laughs> um, it truly is. Well, today we have the honor of working with Monique Attinger. Am I, is that that's how you pronounce your last name? Yeah, Uh-oh. it is. Yep. Very good job. Uh-oh, it's doing it again. Oh, we're getting an echo again. I'm, I'm killing it. All right, I'm killing everything. Monique, you're going to have to introduce yourself. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> okay. I'm really sorry, people. This is just really weird. It's never done it before. You know, anyway, tonight we're having a we're having a Q&A session with the low ox coach herself Monique Attinger and um I I had her bio on the other screen and then this thing decided it was going to go crazy. So hopefully everybody's out there. I put the PDF for the show all over the place. So uh, the PDF they should um give me a screen at the in the chat room here. Uh, the call-in number is 646-595-2277, should you want to ask questions. Um, so, Monique, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself because <laughs> your introduction just went the way of old flesh. Okay. Well, um, I have been, I guess, immersed, if you will, in the Oxalate world now for about six and a half years. I arrived in this world because... One of my children was actually diagnosed um, as having an oxalate uh, problem, and I promised her at that time that we would find out how great it was to eat on this diet. And when I started on the diet, a lot of my health issues, which were quite severe at the time, started to clear up, and in the end, uh, it has made such a difference in my own health that I started to research it. I started to want to know how the pieces fit together. And eventually that led me to wanting to get the word out about how oxalate can impact people's health and in such a variety of ways. 
and starting to actually work with people, um, you know, helping them with how to apply the diet, how do you pick your meals, what are your new staples in the cupboard, um, you know, how can this stuff be impacting me? And, uh, and that's turned into uh, my, my work as Loox coach. So while I do have some nutritionist training, I'm not actually certified as a nutritionist. And the reason for that is I really wanted to specialize in oxalate. I did not necessarily want to be a nutritionist that you would see for any other reason other than you have an oxalate issue. And so because I couldn't find a program that actually had any oxalate awareness, I decided that I would be a health coach instead of a a certified nutritionist. And I bring to this work uh, some university-level studies in, uh, in, in science, but also I've got a master's degree in library and information science, which means I'm a bit of a bloodhound when it comes to hunting down research. So um, that's kind of the variety of things that I bring, including uh, I've worked for many years as a project manager, so I tend to want to put together a program for people so that they can do this diet, do it well, it doesn't have to be excessively complex, and they can, they can get better, and I've seen it. Yeah, and I'll, I'm going to tell the audience that I've seen you work with people, and this whole oxalate issue, which is comparatively new for me, uh, but I know it's been around for a long time, but in the whole world that I work in, uh, this has been the game changer. This has been the reason people are getting better. And uh, with your help, you know, I can kind of tell them what to do, but you have, you have the experience uh, and the knowledge um, to get people to, you know, really turn their lives around because this is the reason why many of the pathways don't want to work. And for those people yeah. who, you know, have been ill for the longest time, um, this is something we're almost ubiquitously finding. And uh, the treatment of it has to be, it was a little bit more, uh, it wasn't as easy as I thought it was. <laughs> okay, so well, and the thing here is, is that when it comes to the diet, you're really doing, it's a lifestyle change. So one of the reasons that I decided to come at it from the direction that I come is it's, that's the feet on the street kind of piece where, where it's how do you actually live like this? How do you eat like this? Um, how do you do that and still enjoy your food? How do you do that and still get together with your family? How do you do that in travel? These are all things that I've dealt with with my clients because it's a lifestyle change. In order for it really to be a game changer, and it is, um, you really have to embrace it as a lifestyle change. It is not Mm -hmm. a sprint. It's not a diet you do for a short while and then you're done. Um, it's uh, it's an overhaul of how we think about nutrition. It's a beautiful thing. Now, uh, people, I see people are signing in like crazy now, which is great. I apologize for the slow start. Uh, just so everybody knows, uh, Monique's going to go through her um, her PowerPoint, which she was kind enough to provide to everybody. And um, after that, uh, we've reserved uh, 35, 40 minutes for you guys to call in or type in on the chat any of your questions. Uh, Monique is the quintessential expert when it concerns the oxalate issue and how to implement 
the whole program. I, I can tell you theoretically all about it, but um, there's nothing like tons of experience and knowledge in, in implementation. So let's let uh, let's let um, Wendy go through her uh, presentation, and then I'll announce the uh, phone number, which is six four six five nine five two two seven seven. And I'd like to see the whole thing just light up. Okay, because uh, you can't get more of an expert than this. And if you don't take advantage of this, I'm coming out to get everybody. I'm going to release the dog. You know, he he knows where everybody is. Okay, go ahead, Monique. (laughs) Okay. So silly. It's eight o'clock at night. That's okay. We might as well enjoy ourselves while we're learning this stuff, right? I mean, people learn better when they're having fun. True, true, true. So, So, I'd like to start just a little bit of with. Uh, giving everybody an idea of the breadth of where oxalate can can be impacting health. And what I've done is included um, three pages here that have different articles from different sources, um, a lot of them research studies, but also the first one, UK doctor who cured fibromyalgia through a low oxalate diet. I mean, a lot of the folks who have ultimately ended up um, getting on the diet uh, that I know of found the diet because this was published in a major uh, UK newspaper, the Daily Mail. And while her application of the low oxalate diet had her avoiding foods that maybe she didn't have to, the, the principle that she was using was correct, which is reduce oxalate and you reduce pain. And fibromyalgia, as we know, is turning into uh, an epidemic among, among mm-hmm. people out there. And so this could be a game changer there. Another thing to, to understand is that you don't have a system in your body that's kind of immune to oxalate. So the next uh, research piece looked at lab rats being fed spinach for calcium. Now, we don't think about spinach as a high calcium source, but it's actually... It has a lot of calcium in it. That calcium is bound to oxalate. And what happened is those rats did not have proper calcification of their bones due to the oxalate content. So when we're thinking about high-nutrition foods that have lots of minerals, if those minerals come with oxalate in the package, we may not be getting the nutrition we think we are getting. Third article there, oxalate binds iron and prevents cells from using it. A lot of uh, clients that I've worked with and people who I've seen on the support groups have iron anemia. I actually ended up falling in that category as well. Oxalate disrupts how your your body is able to use minerals in part because it's a mineral chelator, so it's actually taking the mineral out of... um, you know, out of availability because it's bound with the oxalate, so it's not, it's not available for, for functions as it normally would be. Um, but oxalate can also interfere in some metabolic and cellular processes. And so another piece of the puzzle in terms of sort of various symptoms, which wouldn't appear to be linked to one root but are, Next page, cystic fibrosis patients have increased risk of oxalate kidney stones. The reason I included this one is that we don't normally think of um, some of our cell transporters as being important. We just assume they know what they're doing and they're doing the right thing. But genetically, some of us can actually have 
um, transporters that uh, are also related to the kinds of genetic uh, differences that you get when people have cystic fibrosis. And so um, while cystic fibrosis is dangerous for many reasons, not the least of which is the, the problem of oxalate and those genetic changes that you have with cystic fibrosis. Um, when it comes to thyroid issues, and these are another one that I see a lot of with my clients and which seem to be a lot more common, uh, calcium oxalate stones have actually been found in the thyroid in thyroid disease. And calcium oxalate stones are the kinds of stones that are most often found in the kidneys. So unlike what most of the medical profession believes, which is that oxalate's only a real problem if you, if you develop kidney stones, um, oxalate can be depositing in other parts of the body. The next uh, piece of research talks about oxalate being released in respiratory tissues when you have asthma. And this is something that I have personal experience with because my son, um, his main symptom of oxalate, too much oxalate in his body, was related to his respiratory system, asthma, and those kinds of things. Um, very interesting that I see people who, when they start to lower their oxalate intake, as their body gets rid of stored oxalate, they can actually be getting uh, respiratory symptoms. So phlegmy, um, if, they're, if they're prone to asthma, they may have asthma-like symptoms. And again, the root here, the commonality here is oxalate. Um, I think this is my last page now of, of research, but just, just to show people how much there is out there. Um, gastric bypass patients have an increased risk of calcium oxalate stones and also hyperoxaluria. That's when the body's actually producing oxalate. And mm. there's something about, oh yeah, it's, it, and it's actually known out there. You can see that it's a, um, it, it's a, it's a PubMed citation there. So mm -hmm. the interesting thing there is that somehow w when that surgery is done, it tends to affect digestion in such a way that you can end up absorbing more oxalate from the food that you eat. And of course, if you're trying to eat high nutrition and your stomach is very small, you're likely going to be referred to a lot of the things that we think of as superfoods, and a lot of those are very high in oxalate. And so we also see gastric bypass um, patients or bariatric patients turning up with oxalate problems downstream. Would that also cause uh, gallbladder stones? You can, I believe, get oxalate gallbladder stones, um, but in in a lot of cases, gallbladder stones will be related to cholesterol, and while that might have something to do with oxalate, um, I don't know what the what the connection would be directly. Okay. But there are cases where people have oxalate-based gallstones. And interestingly enough, I had my gallbladder out at 20, <laughs> which is another thing that we see in in uh, in higher numbers than you'd expect uh, in people who are on the support groups. So there's some kind of disruptive mechanism there, either 
uh, related to the production of bile because we know that uh, people often report problems with bile production when they're dealing with oxalate being re released from the tissues, what we call dumping. Um, and so fat problems with fat digestion and so on are, are very common. So there's some connection in there with that too. Uh, ab abdominal migraine is another thing where oxalate can be the thing that's actually triggering it. Um, research which shows that oxalate can actually store in the heart tissue at, you know, as, as crystals, which, again, not something that most people know about. And that there's also a link between oxalate and autism through the the mechanism most likely of, of extreme oxidative stress. Now that I've, that I've heard of, and they, they did this study by, by noticing that there was more oxalic acid in the urine of autistic kids than, um, than in normal kids, no? I believe so. And um, uh, there was also some specific research um, I don't have I, I I think that's the the quote or the the link that I have there um yeah that that's actually from a researcher that I've that I've worked with on the support group Susan Owens and it was it was interesting when I read the article from um from Grape and I I you know I was keeping it in my head that you're absolutely correct that it's from oxidative stress, and then I always go down back, backwards, extrapolate backwards, and saying, well, what's causing the oxidative stress? Because the people who've got who have the uh, bigger um, uh, recovered autistics are people like uh, who have uh, like Harry Rivera's group, who's using CD autism, who's using CD to um, to treat the parasites that are that are causing the oxidative stress. It's kind of interesting. Well, how these all fit together. There are many connections, um, which I think various people are starting to explore. Um, there is some indication that the oxidative stress um, may also even be caused by some of the treatments that we're using. Mm, um, because no things like antibiotics that. and antifungals are sometimes making the problem worse. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that there's been specific research that's looked at that in detail and actually compared before and after testing, um, but certainly there's there's uh, research data which is being collected that appears to to show that you know when treating for some of these uh, issues like you know parasites or um, candida or you know fungal infections and so on. Uh, that we need to be really careful about how we're treating those conditions so that we're not actually saddling something with some, something that's worse um, down the line. There's a lot of stuff we've done in the recent in our recent times that have made things made us sicker, not healthier. Yeah, yeah, it's a challenge because clearly people were working with the best of intentions in in most cases, but. Uh, this whole idea that we can go in and wholesale kill things like with antibiotics. And my next slide talks a bit like this, key factors for, for having an oxalate problem and why we would have them now. 
I mean, antibiotics have effectively killed off a lot of the big gun bacteria that we would have in our digestive tract that would actually help us break down oxalate that's in our food. Um, Oxalobacter formigenes, which is the, you know, the main bacteria that we know of, um, and really important because all it eats for food is oxalate. So it's not going to eat oxalate only if something else isn't available. Oxalate's actually its primary food. So it's one of those bacteria we really want to have in the gut, and it's very prone to being killed off by antibiotics. Um, along with that, we now have the ability with modern food delivery from other parts of the world that we can eat high oxalate foods year round in quantity that we wouldn't have been able to do in the past. And, um, you know, the push towards things like gluten-free diets and stuff have us actually substituting with a lot of nut flours and nuts are very high in oxalate. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, we focus now on raw foods. So it's not that long ago that most of the food that I ate at my grandmother's table, for instance, would have been cooked with the exception of maybe salads or fruit, but everything else Mm -hmm. would have been cooked. And in a lot of cases, the traditional methods by which we were processing this food was actually removing some of the oxalate that was soluble. And, um, but we now think we know better. And so we eat more things raw because we want a greater proportion of the quote-unquote nutrition. But if what we're leaving there is a toxin, which is actually going to disrupt our ability to use certain vitamins and it's going to chelate minerals out of our system, we're not really getting the benefit that we think we are. And that's a real, that's a real change in our thought about what's nutrition. And let's face it, people are, people are probably going to want to argue with you about that. Because Absolutely. it's considered... Um, it's considered healthier to do that, right? Absolutely. And that, that's why, um, as, a, as a person who helps people to implement this diet, it's one of those things that we, we need to spend time on in order to understand the trade-off between good nutrition and avoiding oxalate, which is a toxin. Um, wow. At the same time as we in North America and in the developed world are having more problems, probably because of antibiotic use, Uh, The next slide, people in areas where antibiotic use is virtually unknown are able to eat higher oxalate diets without the same issues that we have. And that also says something about where this is coming from. And Susan Owens, who, uh, who I know, who is a biomedical researcher, She was looking at data that she had from Ghana where they are eating high oxalate foods. She had access to this data, um, you know, this information because of a a family member who who was actually working in Ghana. And while you'd expect those people to have sort of basic problems because of the extremely high oxalate diet they were eating, like things like issues with bone development or bone mineralization, they didn't appear to have those kinds of obvious problems that we would expect from oxalate. Um, If we can talk just briefly about uh, chronic illnesses, which seem to be phenomenally on the rise, autism, fibromyalgia, kidney stones, chronic fatigue, 
gut issues, digestive issues, asthma, COPD, sleep problems, insomnia, vulvodynia, uh, interstitial cystitis, pain, inflammation, arthritis. Um, there is now more and more data to indicate that these all may be associated with oxalates. And while oxalate wouldn't be the single driving factor for each one, because most diseases are multi, multifactorial, but mm-hmm. reducing oxalate has helped people with each of these kinds of, of conditions. So definitely a, a game changer. Let mm-hmm. me go on and briefly speak a little bit about what the heck is oxalate, because a lot of people, you know, it's just a word and it doesn't mean much. And I certainly remember at that point, at the point where I first learned about it, looking at somebody and saying, what the heck is an oxalate? So <laughs> oxalate I'm still, is... I'm still asking, I need to know how to explain it. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So oxalate is an, is an anion with two negative charges. That may not mean much to people, but what you've basically got is a, a substance which likes to bind with minerals because most minerals have either one or two positive charges. So it's trying to look to balance itself out. Because it has negative charges, it's going to be attracted to things with positive charges. Um, the bottom line is that you have to think calcium, magnesium, iron, potassium. It can be pulling all these kinds of minerals out of the body because it's looking to bind with something with the opposing charge. As a net result, when you've got a lot of oxalate in play, you tend to have mineral deficiencies. Uh, You tend to have the potential for crystals forming, whether they're microscopic or larger, such as kidney stones. And those oxalate crystals may not be limited to the kidneys. Certainly in, in research animals, they've been found in other areas of the body. So, you know, mineral depletion, mineral unavailability is one of the issues. But the other thing is that oxalate also disrupts metabolic functions. And the reason for this is that oxalate looks biochemically like sulfate, like bicarbonate, uh, like some of the B vitamins. And as a net result, when your body is looking for a sulfate molecule, a bicarbonate molecule, these different substances, it'll, those tissues may pick up oxalate instead of the, the nutritive thing that they actually need. And because it disrupts uh, biotin, B6-dependent functions um, that we know of and maybe disrupting other kinds of functions, it tends to really create problems throughout the body. It's not really limited to the kidneys as we, had, as we have thought in the past. It also appears to disrupt hormonal functions. Um, it pools in the thyroid. Um, we see links between female hormonal system um, cycles and when oxalate will actually be moving out of the tissues. We see people with adrenal and energy issues, parathyroid issues, et cetera, et cetera. So the the minerals are an issue, but also uh, vitamins and other things that your body needs in order to go through its regular daily processes. Now, when it comes to where you find oxalate, oxalate is in plants. 
So this is another thing which uh, tends to throw common nutritional understandings out the window because we think of plants as our, in many cases, our best nutrition, our first nutrition. We should be eating more of it than anything else. And so if you're picking the wrong kinds of plants, you can be getting a lot of oxalate. And plants are using oxalate for very good reasons. They're using it to pull minerals into their plant, into the structure, because it's a chelator, so they're getting minerals out of the ground with it. Um, it can also be used as a light reflector, which helps to support photosynthesis. And many of the highest oxalate foods are actually using oxalate to protect themselves against predation by insects because oxalate crystals are so damaging that in some cases the insect's mouth will actually be, uh, like the functionality of the mouth can be destroyed by the, by the physical characteristics of oxalate. So, you know, plants are using it for a very good reason. The problem is it's not necessarily good for us. <laughs> mm. And, of course, the foods that we think are most good for us, spinach, chard, nuts, sesame seeds, beets, quinoa, hemp, just as examples, and grains that we think are better than gluten grains like buckwheat, teff, brown rice, all those are high oxalate foods. And this is where people get really confused. And they look at me and they say, what the heck am I going to eat? The good it's news is I don't – it's a very reasonable question. The good news is I don't believe in deprivation, and in most cases there are very easy substitutes. Um, and while not everybody wants to eat animal products, one of the things that can really help in terms of putting together a low-oxalate meal plan is if you're eating animal-based foods, meat, fish, eggs, dairy – they are generally low to no oxalate. And the reason for that is there really isn't any healthful biological use for oxalate in animals in general. It's being used for good reasons by plants, but it's not required for animals. Mm -hmm. uh, frequently reported oxalate-related symptoms. So you may have a diagnosis, you may not, but if you've got a constellation of symptoms that look unrelated but are on this list, it could be the issue. So frequent urination, crystals in urine, cloudy urine, sandy stools, yellow stools, undigested food in stools, insomnia, frequent waking, awake in the middle of the night, pain and inflammation in joints or muscles, elimination issues like chronic diarrhea, chronic constipation, alternating problem, IBS, poor digestion, poor fat digestion, greasy stools, fat malabsorption, Symptoms associated with low mineral levels, deficiencies or anemia. Symptoms associated with low vitamin C levels um, uh, and low vitamin levels in general. But I certainly look myself, if people have testing, to see if they have low vitamin C. It seems to be um, a fairly good indicator that oxalate might be a, might be a problem. Brain fog and fuzzy thinking, low energy, chronic fatigue, adrenal issues, thyroid issues, hormonal issues, and uh, celiacs uh, tend to also, it, it would appear, have more oxalate-related issues. Okay, so Actually, now that I've sense. named off the uh, whole world, 
Well, yeah. it, it um, goes to show you. It, it goes to show you that a lot of things are interrelated. As many things that you see these symptoms at, okay, that uh, you know we 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 assigned it different root causes, but this is one of the major downstream effects of those root causes. Okay, and, well, and that's where yeah. chronic illnesses have a lot of similar symptoms. Yeah, and so you can have you can have this as one of the triggers that's triggering your illness. And the the reason it turns up the way it does in you would be differences in your genetics, differences in what systems in your body are compromised. And so myself and my two children even had different symptoms from having oxalate toxicity, but the same diet worked for all three of us. So in my case, I had thyroid issues, I had brain fog, I had... I had uh, extreme difficulties with digestion. Um, I couldn't sleep at night. Uh, and I remember looking at my mom one day when my daughter was about two and a half and saying, I don't know, I can be this tired and be alive. So I was definitely on a downward spiral. But when my daughter mm-hmm. was uh, found uh, as someone who had an oxalate issue, and she and I were seeing the same practitioner, so her symptoms, though, were more distinctive. She had symptoms of interstitial cystitis and vulvodynia, and so she had irritation and pain around the vulva and the genital area, and mm-hmm. and also these very strange rashes which seemed to come and go and didn't seem to have any pattern to them. And that allowed her to be diagnosed. And then in my son's case, it was all of the respiratory system. What didn't He didn't seem to have any other symptoms. So... The differences in our genetics, even between myself and my two kids, showed up that differently in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Absolutely. what the heck do I so eat? So what do we eat? <laughs> yeah, what the heck do I eat? I know this is, everybody out there is going, what the heck? Anyway, it's, a lot of substitutions are really easy and really straightforward. So one for one, you can sub spinach with arugula. It's another leafy green. It steams nicely. You can use it in recipes that, you know, like if you want to make a spinach dip or whatever, arugula is simple. Um, If you like kale, instead of the regular kale that we usually get called curly kale, substitute that with purple kale. Purple kale is low. So sometimes even the variety of a food makes a difference. Each plant seems to have its own unique profile. Uh, you're looking for a plant-based protein instead of an uh, animal-based protein, sub-hemp with pea protein. Um, you don't want to use dairy, that's fine. Sub-almond milk with coconut milk. Um, a lot of people love their sweet potato. Sub-sweet potato with butternut squash. You need a starch to, you know, to, to, to use in your gluten-free baking. Sub your tapioca starch with corn starch or potato starch or other starches that we've tested which are low and lower than tapioca starch. Um, when possible, I do suggest to clients to get protein from meat, fish, eggs, dairy. But if that's not in their... Um, you know, in their food choices, either by by choice or because they're having problems with digestion, then there are plant protein sources that are alternatives, but you're looking at things like black-eyed peas and red lentils, so specific ones, because most of the beans are, most of the legumes are 
higher oxalate than you'd want to eat. Um, when it comes to baking, yes, gluten-free, I, I do think it's better, but go to coconut flour, go to flax, go to the starches that we've tested that are lower. And in many cases, I'm using a combination of flours in order to get the right texture and also to keep the oxalate as low as possible. And when you're eating, in order to keep your diet in the right range, stick to building most of your day with very low, low and medium oxalate foods. And and that way, it kind of makes it simple. And so that's and my doable. lead in. And doable. That's there, doable. You can do it in a way that doesn't have you having to sit down and calculate the oxalate for everything. That can be a useful stage, but it doesn't have to be where you stay. And for people who really don't like that, um, there are ways to select your foods for a day and stay within the right range without having to count everything. Everybody, if anybody has questions for Monique, it's 646-595-2277. I encourage you to call in. If you're on the chat, go ahead and type in uh, your question, and I'll relay it to Monique. Uh, the number again is 646-595-2277. So <clears throat> we talked to, you talked a little bit about oxalate dumping, okay? Yes. And... Um, I know that if you bring down the oxalates too quickly, those uh, crystals will start uh, melting, if you will, and start releasing more oxalates. And down your oxalate foods. Well, the thing with bringing down your oxalate is you want to do that, but you want to do it slowly. The main reason for doing it slowly is that oxalate is a toxin. In a large enough dose, it can kill you. So when I was a kid, a lot of people grew rhubarb in their backyards and I was warned away from biting a rhubarb leaf. And the reason that, you should, that, that I was warned about that is what's in the rhubarb leaf that can kill you is a high enough dose of oxalate. So mm. because it is really a toxin, it's not just an anti-nutrient. So a sufficient dose can actually kill you. So you want... You, you want to get rid of it. You want it to come out of your tissues where it's been stored because that's what happens over time. But you want it to do that in a, in a controlled fashion so that you're not triggering more severe symptoms, more disruption of your metabolism, more pain and inflammation. So a slow, controlled reduction tends to mean a less intense, um, dumping period and, uh, you know, a much, uh, you're not necessarily going to, 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 to have yourself feeling sicker before you're feeling better. Let's put it that way. I understand things like antifreeze um, creating a massive amount of, of oxalates in the body. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is, which is one of what it's uh, toxicity, the base of its toxicity. Of course, yeah. um, that's isn't that um, ethylene glycol, and um, don't we have a um, a cathartic, a um, a something for constipation that has propylene glycol in it? Um, oh, uh, you mean like Miralax and those kinds of things? That's it. P yes. PEG thirty three fifty. Yeah, it's used by different products. Yeah. 
amazing. We're eating uh, eating toxins so we can poop. Bad idea. Yeah, um, certainly there's concerns that uh, PEG 3350 may, you know, that big molecule may break up and then you could actually uh, end up metabolizing, um, you know, individual molecules from it as ethylene glycol, which then metabolizes into oxalate. So it's, it's definitely a concern. I didn't know oxalates were that much of a toxin, but that's something I learned that um, that's going to be very valuable for me. Um, guys, I know you're out there. Can I, I can hear you breathing. Uh, 646-595-2277. You know, everybody's been screaming. I don't know what to do about the oxalates. I don't know how to bring them down correctly. I don't know what to eat. And you've got the quintessential expert on the phone here, and I know you're out there. Okay, so please call in with your questions, because if you have a question, probably about 200 other people have the same question. Um, I know that you work you work with people individually. Um, mm-hmm. When, uh, under what circumstances is it, is it appropriate to call you or contact you? Uh, I think that... Oh. There's an actual call. Hello? Hold on. Oh, there's an actual call. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Nice person in the 408 area. Are you there? Yeah. Hi. Hi. Please ask your question. Um, I have actually two questions, and it's related to um, the general approach of uh, reducing oxalates. And a lot of times, uh, my understanding is that candida co-occurs with um, uh, the high-level oxalates. So, mm-hmm. is it? appropriate to focus um, primarily on reducing the oxalates or do you work and then the candida resolves itself or would you do both in parallel? That's a really good question. Um, I think the answer will be slightly different depending upon who you are. Um, In my case, the bulk of of my issue, because I also had an issue with candida, was resolved by by doing the diet. So for a lot of people, the diet alone will do the heavy lifting. And while you may, you may want to take some supplements of one kind or another, you don't really have to go after the candida directly because as the body gets rid of the oxalate, it seems to make the gut less friendly to the candida. And uh, your body's natural mechanism for actually keeping candida in check uses biotin and oxalate while it's in play, um, disrupts biotin functions. So as your your body's ability to, to make and use biotin is improving as oxalate leaves, some people find they don't have to go after the candida at all. If you do continue to have candida issues or your candida issue is really bad even as you're starting the diet, um, one of the recommendations is to take biotin in higher doses and that allows the body's natural mechanism for controlling candida to to work as it's intended Um, and in that case you start with a small dose of biotin and you kind of work up slowly seeing how your body reacts to it because too much of a good thing can be not so good a thing and so even though your body might need the biotin you might have to go slowly so that you don't have um, either too much 
oxalate dumping, which gets the symptoms all going again, or you don't want to throw whatever balance you have in your health, like, off. Mm-hmm. So what type of, like, what kind of range are we talking about for, you know, small to higher doses on the biotin? In my case, and what I recommend for most of my clients, assuming that they're not extremely fragile in their health, is that I would start with about 500 mcg of biotin a day. I would do that for three days or so. If everything looks good, I would go to 1,000 mcg of biotin, and I would split the doses, so one in the morning, perhaps one at night, because biotin does have a half-life. So if you if you spread the dose out over the day, you don't have feast and famine in the same way. And then after two or three days on a thousand, then I would go to fifteen hundred, and I would be taking five hundred mcg of biotin, one at breakfast, one at lunch, one at supper, and then I would start to double those doses. And then when I get to about three thousand or so in a day, then um, I might try to get a, a larger capsule or you might even want to do this with uh, biotin powder. I did a lot of my work with biotin with um, with bulk powders so that I could I could dose myself somewhat more specifically and I wasn't having to jump between one size capsule and another size capsule. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the whole idea is to come up at a at a at a gradual way and you know start to double but start to double like at it, individual doses as opposed to uh, double a whole day. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for your uh, question. I've got three more callers, and we only have nine minutes left. So um, I thank you for your question. Let me get to the next caller. Nice person in the 617 area code. Are you there? I think that's me. That's you. Great. Hello. Yeah, hi. I was just wondering... What's the best test to begin with? Is it the 24-hour urine or the organic acid test? Yeah, that's another one that's a little bit tough. Um, Usually you get the best data for someone to look at to help you with more detailed information on supplements and so on from an organic acid test. A 24-hour urine test may be something that you can uh, talk a doctor into. I talked mine into it in order to convince them that it wasn't my imagination that I had an oxalate issue. And then I kept my fingers crossed that there was a, would be enough oxalate in my urine on that day that I would be dumping or releasing oxalate out, and so it would show up. It did, and then you know that sort of helped me convince my, my GP that, I really did have oxalate in my system in the you know outside the normal range, and that helped me get him on board but really for 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 purposes of getting you more information about what's going on in your body and also what kinds of supplementation might help you, the organic acid test is the best test and is that great plains lab is that the one you like that's great plains lab okay um the reason that that uh that I like that one better is that um, it, it provides you with a with a very uh, good overall you know variety of of uh, factors in the urine. So there's a lot of there's a lot of information in there, 
And then the only other reason that I'm biased that way is that uh, the one that I have the most exposure to is that one. Okay. And can you get that one yourself if your doctor won't order it? I believe that if you look on the Great Plains lab website that they do have doctors that will sign for that test if you don't have a doctor who will request it for you. Oh, cool. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Nice person in the 716 area code. Are you there? Uh, yes, I am. My Hi. question. Yes, I would. Um, I really appreciate this very much. Um, baby Kale, I was wondering if that would be more of a food that we could eat. You know, people like, for instance, me, I've had kidney stones in the past. Right. And um, trouble with oxalates since I'm 68. Back when I was in my 20s, I was in love with dark chocolate, um, (laughs) kale, um, rhubarb. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. And I hear you. I just had kidney stones uh, forever, it seemed like, until I started figuring out that taking more magnesium and things like that and leaving alone these foods <laughs> kind of worked for me. But now that I'm in my 60s, it seems like I'm having more trouble with them. Right. And um, I just wondered whether baby kale, because I love kale. Yes, you know? yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I I don't think that we have tested the baby kale versus the mature kale. Um, uh-huh. With fruit, we know that unripe fruit often actually has more oxalate than ripe fruit. So we have not yet seen that same pattern with um, with greens. Um, that would really be an area where I where I would some funding for some more testing because I think it would be really helpful to people. But I can't okay. answer I can't give you an answer at this point. I mean, right now what I know is that purple kale is one of the lowest varieties. If you can get your hands on Dino, also called Lacinto kale. Um, yeah, I don't really kind of like a medium. That. Wouldn't you know yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Darn it. <laughs> yeah. Um I have a granddaughter <clears throat> who's inherited all my issues. And she's like 23, and she's had kidney stones for the last five years. And she's got some real, uh, you know, other problems with, um, oh, pelvic pain and all that. Mm -hmm. And um, they told her not to drink lemon juice, that all citrus should be off the table. And I said, lemon juice is really something that she probably should be drinking, but is that can that be a problem? It can be oh. because it can be too acidic for some people. Um, okay. So while citrate, is, which is the good thing in lemon juice, can be fabulous for some people um, and is often recommended for people with kidney stones, if those people also have things like interstitial cystitis or vulvodynia or or other kinds of pain or inflammation, the citrate can sometimes irritate that. Um, there's other ways to go if you can't take minerals in the citrate form, um, and so I would just 
I would I would definitely look at other forms just so that she's not causing herself a bigger problem. Okay. Okay. Um, Thank you for your question. I appreciate it. We have okay. some more callers. Just a couple of minutes left. Thanks. Hi, nice person in the 608 area code. Are you there? Hi, yes, I'm here. My question is I um, had uh, kidney stone surgery and was diagnosed with um, hyperaxoria and then have been um, trying to find fi- follow the um, lower diet at first, went a little too fast, and then have been trying to pull back. But when I did, um, when I had the kidney stone, they did um, a CT and found a mass on top of my adrenal gland on the other kidney. Now, they want to talk as if those things are separate issues, but when you say that there are adrenal issues, potentially, I've um, felt like, what are the odds that I have hyperoxoria and then my kidney st- or my um, mass on top of my adrenal and having the mass and the adrenal removed wouldn't also somehow be oxalate-related, but I haven't found any information on that. And then my parathyroid numbers were high, and then they had me do a bunch of D, like basically overdosing on D and um, calcium, and then that improved. But then um, I had the, I can't think of what you call it, when your calcium is too high. Um, right, hypercalcemia. Yeah, then I had that on my next test results, and now I found out today I have a UTI. Right. So I'm just wanting to throw all that out there and get your thoughts about all of that in relation to oxalate. Um, Well, as I said, oxalate can drive pain and inflammation. Um, There is indication that it can pool in glands. uh, And... And so, you know, there's a possibility that that this is linked together. I can't mm-hmm. I can't diagnose that for you, but I can, you know, I can say that I do know that research shows it pools in glands. I do know that it drives pain and inflammation. Um, and so, I would say that when you see health that of people who are doing all the right things or appear to be doing all the right things and yet their health continues to degrade and they're and they're not doing well even though they're trying very hard with their diet. Mm-hmm. Um, in my own experience, that was worth an experiment to see if lowering oxalate would make the difference. And in my own case, I can tell you I had thyroid problems, sleep issues, digestive issues, um, and problems with adrenals and fatigue. And I also had... Uh, I had some issues with some joints. Now, that doesn't sound like things that all go together, but in my case, they all went together. Right. No, I've followed your um, Facebook and um, the Yahoo group page, and I see people with things that I've had problems with for years and never knew there might be a link. So I definitely, I've always said to people, I have gut rot when I eat that, or that gives me gut rot, or I have gut rot today, not realizing that my gut was, you know, such a problem. And I don't think people yeah. make the connection between their oxalate and gut issues till they turn to you and start looking at what your, you know, people. Oh, oxalates can be right. both a yeah, it can be okay. both a, um, a root cause and downstream effect. I think uh, I can it's contributory to both. I believe. I don't think we have a lot of time left. So, um, Monique, how can people get in touch with you should they want to uh, consult with you? 
Well, on the on the last page of my presentation there on the on the on the um the the slides, they'll see my contact information. Um uh, just as a follow-up to our last caller there, I have to say that um, my running joke among all my clients and myself is that I need to have T-shirts made up that say, when in doubt, blame Oxlate. There's just too many places where it turns up. Anyway, yeah, they can, they can, they can reach me uh, at any of the, the contact information that I have on that on that last page, they can find me on Facebook as Low Ox Coach, um, and my email address is Low Ox Coach, all one word at gmail dot com, um, and uh, and and you know if they if they think that this is something that uh, that they'd like to find out more about or you know get some help in implementing, uh, I am I am available. So everybody, it's um, you can contact Monique at lowoxcoach l o w o x c o a c h at gmail dot com. You can find her on Facebook as the Lowox Coach l o w o x c o a c h. Monique, I really appreciate you being on tonight. I'm sorry I didn't get to all the callers, uh, but um, there's ways of getting in touch with you. Okay, and yep. this is a clearly important issue. It's um, it is a really important issue because it's a game changer for most people. So uh, I want to thank you for uh, lending us your expertise tonight and answering the good questions. I know that I'm going to be calling you very soon because I've got a ton more questions myself. And um, just want to thank you for being on tonight. Um, oh, my pleasure. Thank you for all the I'm, work you're doing. I'm so happy to get the, the word out. And thanks for, for giving me a, a platform to be able to do that, Dr. Jeff. No, I appreciate it. You guys... Thank you, and uh, everybody, good night. We'll be seeing you next week. Um, we're going to have another good show next week. Don't know what it is yet, but we're going to have another good show next week, and we're not going to have the same problems we had this week at the beginning. This I promise you. <laughs> everybody have a good good week. Take care now. Thanks. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time my time is I hope everybody knows tonight that the uh, symptoms of low oxalates are the same as the symptoms for many chronic diseases. Okay, we've talked about this before. They're beginning to see the interrelationships, and we here at the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine are keeping our promise by making sure that you get good information to make good healthcare decisions because people with chronic illnesses are the strongest people I know. And we promised a long time ago to walk the path with you. And we are, by giving you information and empowering you. That's why we only bring you the best and bring you good information. So you guys have a good week. Hang in there, and we'll talk to you again next week. Take care. <laughs>